They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What's up, SoundCloud.com? It is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell and John Mita here with you. Johnny Meets, what's good, my man? What's good? Hey, hey, hey. No, nothing much, <laughs> man. Just, uh, just a crazy day. I mean, I'm sure everybody is aware of the breaking news that hit Philly, which basically took place couple hours after our last podcast and you called me up on the phone and said should i get back get right back to the studio and we're close <laughs> i said now let's uh let's just let things simmer i liked what we said on the last podcast because it kind of led to the conclusion which actually you know took place tuesday night last tuesday a week from today um seven o'clock which was uh you know the firing of chip kelly which has pretty much shocked uh, the football world nationally and Philadelphia. I mean, I was just, I was dumbfounded. Yeah. Not to say that it, it wasn't the right decision, but it was just the way it was done was just uh, whew, out, of, out of nowhere. Yeah, sure. stunning for sure. All right, well, so since I'm not there in the yeah. city of brotherly love and you are, what's the sure. pulse? What's what's the talk of the town? I think the pulse is everybody's relieved and happy. Um, I just, they... <sighs> You know, everybody in the beginning was all on board with Chip Kelly. I think that that fresh approach, that that different type of style, up tempo offense, uh, people were excited about it, happy about it. But as you basically uh, saw the system unfold, so to speak, I think people grew a little weary of it and just didn't think, you know, that that his system could work in, in the NFL. And when it comes down to it. I think people just got disconnected. At first, you know, Chip Kelly, uh, Angelo Cantaldi, uh, he basically introduces him at Wing Bowl, and all the fans are going nuts and so excited, like, ah, everybody's a Chip Bob and Chip we trust. And just when you saw the same old thing week after week, and ultimately you look at once the man receives full control from Jeffrey Lurie, full power of all personnel decisions and you saw some of the decisions that he made I, I think that was you know part of the final undoing so to speak yeah. so from this standpoint everybody's worried I mean it's like okay all this town wants is a Super Bowl victory so the question is okay, who's going to be that max fire to get the job done and, and I think people hold some animosity towards Chip because they feel like he has set the franchise back, you know, a couple years, three years. You know, now your quarterback's in limbo. There's other positions that he refused to address on the team that this offseason is going to be crucial, man. It is going to be uh, a big undertaking of, you know, trying to move in the right direction and making those moves to, to, to better your football team. It's funny you say that because, it, you know, it wasn't this time last year, but, you know, 10 months ago, 
you were saying this was the biggest draft in Eagles history, the biggest offseason in Eagles history. It turned out, uh, from some standpoints, to be that, meaning from a, a monumental standpoint, from a move standpoint, from a roster turnover standpoint, from a, a stunning standpoint, uh, and even even at times maybe you know the an anticipation standpoint, like how, how's all this going to play out? Well, 17 weeks later, 16 games in the bye, I think we found out. This team just wasn't good enough. They continued to make the same mistakes over and over again. And they seemed to never learn or improve week to week. There were flashes. There were games where they played well. There were there were signature moments. There were big plays from some of the new acquisitions. But at the end of the day, this team just wasn't good enough. And that's that's maybe the most frustrating thing is that they, they showed some signs. Look, the National Football League is a crazy league, John Mita, because... You know, Arizona can can beat the snot out of Green Bay and then the next week get pasted at home. And the, the Jets, with all everything at stake, can't win a division game they should have won. You know, I mean, there are there are games every Sunday, every Monday, every Thursday, whatever it is, where you just scratch your head and go, hey, that's the NFL. So what happens there, nobody's perfect in this league, all right? Nobody. But at the end of the day, I think there were just... It was just a frustration level with this football team that they were never able to put it together enough. They were never consistent enough. They were good at times. They certainly had some nice pieces, I think. They have some good coaches, I think. The scheme works at times, but it was just never, ever good enough this season. After back-to-back 10 and 6 years, that's the most frustrating part of all of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, back-to-back 10 and 6 years, and then it seems like you were totally headed in the complete opposite direction. Yep. And... Basically, I think, you know, what people want to know or, you know, we need to give our opinions is why ultimately this guy got fired. Yep. And I think it comes down to, there's a couple things. For me, it seemed like his system was flawed. And when I say flawed, I'm talking about the up-tempo system. It just, and yeah, up-tempo is great. You wear down the other team. But on the other side of the football, you're exposing your defense to play way too many snaps. And I'm not so sure the great, you know, the the great 1999 Bucks and the 2000 Ravens, which had tremendous defenses. I'm not so sure their defense would be able to hold up under this system. If your offense is pulling up 45, 50 points a game, like it is in college, it's a possibility that this works. But I don't see this system working in the NFL. The other flaw I saw with the system was when it came to audible. If you can't go to the line of scrimmage and have your quarterback audible out of bad place, then you're just setting yourself up for disaster. You look at some of the best quarterbacks in this league, that's how they dice people up. Peyton Manning comes in the league, he gets you know, sent back in there because something happened to Brock Osweiler or they need a change. Next thing you know, he's checking in the running plays and they just start gashing the Chargers. Yeah. That's the type of thing that you need. So that, uh, his system, to me... And also with that system, it just seemed to wear down his players towards the end of the year. Where his teams are making runs and getting stronger, so to speak. Like, oh, wow, this team's really hot. They won six in a row late. His teams always seem to fade during the end of the year. Well, the last two years especially. The first year, they were probably peaking because they were getting used to it. They'd started to win. They were all buying in. Uh, And some of the comments I read today... Uh, from some of the veteran Eagles players, specifically Lane Johnson, talked about just how worn down this team was. Then I read that the defense played more snaps than anybody else in the league, which we've known. But it was basically two to three games more snaps 
compared to the Seattle Seahawks, who played the fewest snaps defensively, the Eagles played the equivalent of three more games defensively over the same amount of time. Now, three more games. Mind blown. And, and, and we're talking about a defense that has its flaws to begin with. You give opposing offensive coordinators, great quarterbacks, great skill players, an extra 40 snaps a game, somebody's going to make a play. Exactly. No doubt about it. Yeah, wow, that's a mind-blowing stat. Yeah. I think the other thing, um, let's look at him as general manager. There were so many decisions he made uh, that, that killed this football team. We talked about it kind of a week ago. The Kiko Alonso trade for LaShawn McCoy. You know, when you let go of some of your playmakers, your Deshaun Jackson, your LaShawn McCoy, Jeremy Macklin, you better have some viable replacements in the stall to come right in and step in. If you don't, you're going to get burned. And that's what's happened. This team didn't have one solid wide receiver presence all year round. It was constant amount of drops. And it just killed this team. Look at not addressing the guard position. He lets Evan Mathis go, but then he signs two bones that are probably just backups in this league at best. And they're signing extensions for four to $700,000. If you're a good player, I would like to think that you're going to get more than a four hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars extension. So he just, jumped, you know, the moves with Demarco Murray. Just Demarco Murray just didn't seem to fit his type of running style. You know, he wanted to run him out of the shotgun. It just, just, and then he would run him on the outside. It just seems like when he made these moves, he just couldn't put these guys in the right positions to be successful. And I think also, for me, the final thing, Joe, and I'll let you speak on everything that you want to hit on, I think his failure to communicate was pretty much the entire organization. Yep. From from coaches to management to, frankly, ownership. I think that was, there was so much animosity, so much tension in the building. They said even the players, I was reading some articles, that the, that the players could feel the tension between Chip and the people in the front office. and he, he just was not a good people person. You know, he's the type of guy that might be able to run like a corporation where he has absolute power, it's his gig, and whatever he says goes, yeah. But if you look at the athlete in this day and age, these guys need to be, you know, I'm not saying coddled, but, you know, if you beat them up, you need to hug them and bring them back, so to speak. And Jeffrey Lurie did a nice job. Apparently, he's interviewed several players on the team, kind of asking what they're looking for in a head coach, which I think is an unbelievable – that's a great idea. In my opinion, I think that is a good idea. But I just – he just didn't have the people skills, even with the media. People just – I think in in the end, people just hated this guy. And that's why people in this city and all around are like, goodbye and good rings. And if this guy has a bad reputation with players – How's he going to get another job in the NFL if players talk? Just like, you know, there was a rumor out there that LaShawn McCoy, you know, called Frank Gore on the phone and said, listen, I played for Chip, dude. Not a good idea. Maybe you should take your talents elsewhere. Yeah, that's some pretty, that, that's some pretty damning stuff right there. Some, da- yeah, some yeah. damaging stuff, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, how can – not many players came out and were like – you know, in the media, and John, I know you're in Iowa, but like, not many players came out like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll run through a wall for that building. I know. I know. You look at the the opposite effect with Andy Reid, 
people are like, man, I'll do anything for coach. He was like a father figure to me. You know, he, he, he changed my life. Look at, I, you know, I read a piece, uh, you know, something that Justin Tuck, the former, you know, defensive end for the New York Giants, you know, Tom Coughlin had this reputation of, of being such a hard ass and he would find players, you know, the late to meetings that were not on time or five minutes late. And, and Justin Tuck wrote this piece about, you know, how he changed his life as, you know, not only as a player, but as a father, as a husband. And that's the type of thing you need in this day and age with these guys, their fragile mental state, you know, to be successful. And you could talk as much as he wanted to talk about creating this great culture. It, to me, it sounded like a poisonous culture. Yeah. From everything that you're hearing right now, they just nobody was in harmony with one another. Yeah, so it's a great hey, it's a great point because we we spend so much time talking about culture. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years with Chip Kelly, he's got this culture. It's a unique culture. It's it's all about the culture. It's a buying in. It's the smoothies. It's the sleep science. It's the playing his way that only works if you're winning. The only way it's going to work is if you're winning. And exactly. and and you know it's. His inability to adjust may have been his biggest downfall, but I, I yep. think you kind of hit on it. He, you know, his smug, kind of prickly attitude, especially when things weren't going well this season, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He wasn't very pleasant. It appeared from the outside looking in, um, especially some. You know, if Jeffrey Lurie's going down, has to talk to the team. If Jeffrey Lurie's being talked to by star players on the flight after a game, after a win, you know, no less. Uh, apparently, yeah. Chip wanted to change the holiday party up for. What Jeffrey Lurie was hell bent on. I mean, those are little things. They're not football things. They're little things, but they're people skills, right? Yeah. And and you're dealing with a family, and if the person at yeah. the top of the family isn't treating the people, the rest of the family with respect or the way they want to be treated, you better sure as hell be winning football games. And when you're not, nobody wants to go to battle for you. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. And, and you know what I'm. Part of me is proud of the Philadelphia Eagles for showing up on Sunday and playing football for Pat Shermer. Because they did. Yeah. You know, they're professionals. Uh, they, they showed up and they played a pretty good, clean football game for, you know, a borderline last place team, a team that had nothing to play for. And that, that to me, at least, they showed some pride in that regard. Yeah, well, that was, that was the thing. And immediately I thought, okay, I'm not so sure I want them to win this game. Yeah. But you just got the sense that they were going to play their tails off. Yeah. Because they're going to say, you know what? You know, the thing done, the witch is dead, he's out of here. Yeah. Now it's time to go to work. And it just stinks because you're like, man, if you got that effort on a consistent basis throughout the season, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Yeah. However, in the long run, maybe this is what we needed, you know, to bring this organization back to the to the good old days when we were always in the playoff hunt, when we were making NFC championship games and and you know, to go on Sunday's game, the offense just looked a little more in tune because they were a little more creative. You know, Pat Shermer did a nice job. And the one thing that I saw that really stood out to me is has Zach Ertz finally arrived yeah. to becoming that dynamic playmaking tight end like that Rob Gronkowski. There's only one Rob Gronkowski. But, you know, could he be that force? You know, he caught, almost 30, he caught almost 30 balls the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, nine receptions for 152 yards. Now, granted, it was against the Lily Giants, and they weren't playing for anything at that point. But and that, and that was good to see. Um, the one thing, you know, ruining our draft choices, 
you know, they lose that football game, which, you know, they, and then they get into the top 10. They're sitting at number 13 right now. Not the best position, but not the worst position. And apparently, if they would have lost that game, John, I don't know if you heard this fact. They had been going overseas. Yes, they would have gone overseas, and Lane Johnson said, well, we won the game. At least you don't have to go to London. Yeah. Really? That's your motivation yeah. here? But, but all in all, it was nice to see um, you know, the football team at least give a, a good effort on the way out. And you know, hopefully we can get this thing fixed. And I, I just think there's some changes. You know, Chip was let go. I think – I think they need a fresh start, um, which probably leads in the – I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Look, it, for those tuning in, it's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Joel Donald and John Meter. You can follow us on Twitter, at BeLovePodcast. Uh, we've kind of jumped right into it here. Just a, a little synopsis of what, what else we're going to cover. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other coaching candidates that have been rumored so far. Uh, we'll give our NFC and AFC playoff predictions. We'll pick the Super Bowl winner per se. We'll wait for that, but we'll at least give you initially who we think could come out of each conference with Wild Card Weekend looming. Uh, and obviously, we'll spend a lot of time talking about Chip Kelly getting fired, the timing, the reason for it, etc. And we've hashed kind of through a lot of that already. Uh, 26 and 21, Chip Kelly's record under just under three seasons. Missed the playoffs, obviously, the last two years. The biggest thing, though, that stood out to me, John Mita, was the timing. It was just stunning. Like They didn't even let him finish the year. It was almost like yeah. Jeffrey Lurie wanted to give him the biggest F you possible. And that was yeah. to say, you know what? You don't even get to finish the season. You've disgraced us. You know, I'm tired of this. And if you think you're in charge, Chip Kelly, I'll show you who's in charge. I, to me, I, I don't see it any other way than that. Because what, what do you gain by giving Pat Shermer one token game? You know, Pat Shermer's been a head coach before. You can't learn that much about Pat Shermer in the five days he prepares after Chip gets fired and, 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 and coaching one football game. You can't. I'm sorry. Pat Shermer's not going to learn anything. Jeffrey Lurie's not going to learn anything. They know Pat Shermer. He's coached before. He's been with the team before. You know, so I think that, to me, the timing was more of a, a middle finger from Lurie to Chip saying, beat it. <laughs> Uh, and it's plain and simple. And and you brought up guys talking, and, and there weren't a whole lot of guys going to bat for him. Uh, that was surprising. Guys get fired, any sport, any situation, any level, and you always hear the players go, well, that's on us. You know, coach got fired because we didn't play well enough. There wasn't a guy that said that, that I read. No, I know. Lane Johnson, no. even that loser no. Marcus Smith, DeMarco yeah. Murray, they're all saying fresh start. Yeah. They're all saying, man, this could be better. I mean, that's unbelievable. This guy wasn't here three years, and and things were so toxic that his own players yeah. were like, beat it. Yeah, that's, that's a great word, toxic. And we thought, you know, one of the things my friends and I were discussing was, okay, so how, how do you think it went down, you know, in that meeting? Was it that Murray... You know, something that we mentioned on the podcast last week was it, that he just wanted to strip Chip of the power and just say, look, you know, you can coach this football team, but you're no longer going to be in charge of player personnel. And and basically, I think, and then Peter King wrote a story basically saying that, and the word he just said, you know what, Chip, you're out of here. Didn't even give him the opportunity yeah. to stripping his. That's the way I think it went down, honestly. Yeah. No, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that's what Peter King wrote. He said that Chip Kelly was surprised, shocked that it happened. He thought maybe he'd have one more year with you know an extension with Sam Bradford to try to get this thing turned around in the right direction. Yeah, I, honestly, that you and, know, if I was a betting man prior to last Tuesday, that's what I would have bet on. 
as you give them yeah. one more shot. Hey, you missed the play- yeah. playoffs two years in a row. We gave you this opportunity. You right the ship or you're gone. And you let them know from the start of the season. You know, your State of the right. Union address is Jeffrey Lurie. We either make the playoffs this year or major changes come. And you just put it out there. Yeah, and I think I think also Lurie, you know, he said that this was uh, he when he had his press conference and he came out and he said this is, you know, this is basically a, a three-year. Oh, yeah, complete garbage. Complete garbage. Yeah, right. I don't buy that for a second. No, not at all. Once they got their doors blown off yes. at home by the Arizona Cardinals, and they celebrate their AFC, their NFC, excuse me, their NFC West title. Yeah, on the, they're throwing up forty. The Redskins are forty, and, and and Jeffrey Lurie sees that people are leaving in the yeah. third quarter. Yeah. So all that money just walking out the door, and just the disgrace and the anger. And and there was one fan that wrote this candid letter to Jeffrey Lurie. And I don't know if he read it personally. It was talking about Chip and the culture, and no. and it just. It's just, I think he just got sick of everything and said, you know what? And also, when Chip Kelly came out in his press conference and said that he wasn't the general right. manager, yeah. I think that was like... That was a slap in Jeffrey slap. Lurie's face, man. Total. That was that a slap in his face. That was a slap in Roseman's face. That was, you know, that was a mockery of the organization. And I don't know at the time he probably thought that. He was just giving some coach speak, a cliche. He was trying to be snide. He was trying to be funny. He was trying to avoid the missile coming at him from the media. But at the end of the day, Jeffrey Lurie didn't like the vibe. He didn't like the attitude. He didn't like the way things were going. He didn't like being embarrassed on national television at home, back to back. The Eagles were, have not been a strong home team under Chip Kelly. That's scary. Yeah. No, this year they were three and five. That's now. embarrassing. And, and a couple of those losses, people are throwing up forty on the board. Yeah, which never happens. Yeah, usually. you know, you might get one of those games throughout the course of the year. The Patriots, right? Again, it's the never. NFL that happens. Yeah, but to, to have that many letdowns at home in front of your fans that are, you know, blood, sweat, and tears all in with this football team. Yeah, I mean that just. I think that was it, man. That was the uh, the final straw. All right, sure. b- before we take a timeout, I do want to just add a couple of things from Sunday's game. First of all, it's always good to beat the Giants. All right, screw the draft yeah. pick. Uh, the Eagles yeah. butcher enough draft picks. If they're ninth or thirteenth, I don't really give a damn. Uh, I also saw <laughs> two. Wi- <laughs> What's that? I saw two wide receiver screens. I didn't know you could do those anymore in the NFL. That was that was nice to see. Wow, good job, Pat Shermer. We've talked about getting Nelson Aguilar the football all freaking season, and they threw him two wide receiver screens for positive yards. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that was the play that we've been calling for. I saw that as well. Yeah. I was like, that finally, they're using this guy. You know, and it's funny, Joe, you know, and I'm, I'm, I hate to interrupt you, and I'm watching the Red Zone channel, you know, because I wasn't that into the game. But, you know, they were talking about our buddy, Big Red, and Big Red said they, he pulled up. Alex Smith, Utah college film, and started taking some plays from there. So you want to talk about you know being adaptable and and having that capability to kind of change up your system, and they're running plays and it's working. Yeah, over and over, and that's what you need from this new next head coach. So somebody that can be creative. But go ahead. No, so remember a couple weeks back, I was like, hey, it looks like this football team doesn't practice. It looks like this yeah. football team is is lost. Yeah. They're not on the same page. They can't execute. I forget who the quote was. Uh, again, a lot of the reading I do is Philly.com. Some great pieces by the columnists there uh, from the bloggers, etc. 
And one of the things they said, it was a piece about how the offense appeared simplified under Pat Shermer. Granted, it's one game. It's meaningless. The officials probably didn't give a crap. The Giants didn't give a damn. I mean, take it with a huge grain of salt. But the quotes from the players were, they basically took the playbook and pared it down. Now, all we've heard, especially as this year's moved along from opposing teams and analysts around the, the country, is that the Eagles only run about eight different plays, right? I could be off on the number. I'm just ballparking. Yeah. But they dress them up 30 different ways. Well, this time around, the Eagles dressed them up 15 different ways for practice. So they scaled back on the 700 different looks from the same old jet sweep and the same old you know fly pattern, and they scaled yeah. them back so that the guys were able to actually practice what they were going to run, and they felt a lot more comfortable. I mean, this is coming from the players. Now, granted, yeah. their coach just got fired, and they won a meaningless game. But, but the bottom line is, they didn't have to say boo. They didn't have to say anything other than, hey, we want to finish the season strong. But they went out of their way to be like, hey, this is what we did differently, and boy, it seemed like it worked a lot better. Yeah. I, I just just food for thought. You know, just food for thought. But anyway, uh, Marcus Smith has a pulse. That was good to see. Uh, finally on the game <laughs> Sunday, 35-30, went over the Giants or whatever the hell the score was. Uh, Riley Cooper and Josh Huff stink. Um, have I said that before? Uh, oh, and Eric Rowe will be the starting quarterback opposite Byron Maxwell next season. Those are my takeaways from Sunday's win. Yeah. All right, brother. Let's take a timeout. Let's regroup. Let's regroup. Fourth quarter coming up. Fourth quarter. Uh, all right. Does Pat Shermer deserve a chance to coach this football team next season? The most intriguing coaching candidate from both myself and Johnny Mita. And we'll give you our NFC and AFC predictions after this. It is the one and only Brotherly Love podcast right here on SoundCloud.com. You're listening to the Brotherly Love podcast exclusively on SoundCloud.com. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com with John Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate everybody's love and support on SoundCloud.com. We've cracked 2,000 plays, Johnny Mita. Oh, man. That's great news to hear. And just want to thank everybody out there. Keep listening. We're going to try to bring some more guests to the table. We're working on it. And uh, we appreciate all the feedback. To give us some feedback, and if there's something else you want us to hit on, we can deliver on anything. I'm sure of it. Right, Joe Jeff? Amen, brother. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, plain and simple, Johnny Mita. Does Pat Shermer deserve a chance to coach this football team next year? Go. No. <laughs> All right, next question. And, next question. Yeah, I mean, listen, he did a great job of, I'm not saying he's a bad coach did a really nice job of preparing this football team for a meaningless game under a lot of pressure. You know, he was under some crazy circumstances, but I just want a clean slate and he's an offensive guy, but I think we got to bring it back to the old school man and go defense and the candidates. I, I want a defensive guy. I want them to go back to the four, three system. So he did a nice guy. Now when I rule him out as an offensive coordinator, Let's just say, I, I, I don't know if I'd rule him out, but I, I don't know. For me, I want to go defense. You know, there's a lot of things in limbo with this team, specifically at the quarterback position, because God knows. I think if you brought him back as a coach, you'd probably have a better chance to re-sign Sam Bradford, specifically because he was his OC in St. Louis. But, 
No. I don't know. What are your thoughts? My answer to this question on whether Pat Shermer deserves a chance next season to coach the Eagles depends solely on which Chip Kelly philosophies he believes in. And I know that's kind of on the fence. It might be a, a you know a way out of the question. But if he if, if if he's selling me on everything Chip Kelly was trying to sell me on, I want nothing to do with it. And I don't think that's the case. But in, in the in the plus column for me, he's got that relationship with Bradford, like you talked about, and the rest of the current roster. Um, maybe it's a shorter term, quote unquote, rebuild uh, with a coach that the players already can identify with. Because that's my biggest concern about blowing this whole thing up: is you got to start over. Uh, you have to start yeah. over, and I, you know, maybe you know Chip Kelly took a four and twelve team turning tournament into ten and six and a playoff team his first year. So can it be done quickly? Yes, but most likely you're now in a process of building this new culture, this new scheme, players getting used to a new system and new coaches and new faces, and and that takes time. We saw that this year. So much roster turnover that it, it ultimately blew back in Chip Kelly's face. In the minus column for Pat Shermer. He's never had success as an NFL head coach. And part of me says this locker room, the Eagles locker room, as it's currently constructed, needs a clean slate. They need somebody that will bring automatic, you know, uh, immediate credibility. And from there, I'll go to this. The most intriguing coaching candidate for me, John Mita, is the Saints' Sean Payton. Period. End of sentence. Now, granted, he's under contract with another team. You've got to trade for him. But I believe the Saints are looking for a fresh start. He's won a Super Bowl. He knows the conference well. And I think he'd have that immediate credibility I just spoke of with the players. And and, and from there, who knows? You know, I, I don't know if... if if Sam Bradford's your guy, it's going to depend on the new coach and, and whoever the hell this new GM is. And if it's Howie, by the way, because I don't know how he fits into this whole thing or the whole firing thing or how much he was you know, in Jeffrey Lurie's ear, um, I think Howie Roseman's a rat. I don't like him at all, and I want him gone from this organization. I don't think that's ever going to happen as long as Jeffrey Lurie owns the team, hence kind of firing him, yet keeping him on the staff, only now to bring him back, essentially, uh, with more capacity. I know that's an aside, but I don't like Howie Roseman at all. Plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think and the things that, you know, are not getting my most intriguing coaching tactics. Uh, the thing that worries me with this football team is, uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie prefaces in a press conference saying that he wants it to be a collaboration effort. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. Uh, we saw how that worked for a couple of years when Andy, you know, was gone, wasn't in charge. And I just think, number one, this is how I think it should go. For this team to be successful, and move towards, you know, building that Super Bowl winning team or that 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 consistent franchise like the Patriots. The gold like standard? Steelers. Do you dare you speak yeah. of the gold standard, John Mita? Dare I speak <laughs> the gold standard. Here I go. The dream team? Number one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the dream team. <laughs> Number one, they gotta find a general manager, man. I want somebody in charge that is gonna be the final end all be all of decision making regarding this football team. I want somebody with senior experience, somebody that's gotten it done before, and you just have to have that guy. When there's too many Chiefs and not enough Indians, I don't think the outcomes are going to be very positive. I just think there's or, or another cliche term is what? What is it? There are too many cooks in the kitchen, yep. so to speak. Yeah, exactly. That's what I don't want. I want them to go first and foremost, and I know they're already interviewing candidates as we speak. Just give me a general manager first and foremost. Let's start there. 
Give me a proven guy with a proven track record. Then let him pick the next head coach. Yep. Then the head coach then decides who's going to be the quarterback of this football. Is it going to be Sam Bradford? Is it going to be somebody that he drafts? Are we just going to take on a stop gap? There's plenty of free agent stop gaps or somebody that we can mold if you want to build this thing. But I think it's got to go general manager first, coach second, third, find the quarterback of the future or, or the, the stop gap, and, and then move forward from there. For me, the most intriguing coaching candidate, and I'm running the gamut on all types of people. I'm looking at the list and reading up on people and, I don't know. He's not intriguing because he's been a part of this organization. Oh, my God. Please don't say who I think you're going to say. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. Well, you kind of tipped your cap with the defense first, but I swear to you, if the words that were about to come out of your mouth were Doug Peterson, if they were Doug Peterson, I was going to end. This podcast would have ended on the spot. Absolutely right. Let me tell you what. Are you kidding me right now, dude? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Relax, relax, relax. I almost had a heart attack when I read the same alert on your phone that he was a leading candidate. No, no. I'm going to go defense. And I'm going to go to Jim Johnson's understudy. Guy that's been in Carolina got dismissed by the organization, Sean McDermott. And I want to go with him. And the reason why I want to go with him is because he knows what this city's all about. He's been a part of this organization. And I think he needs to be away from this in order to just come back and take this team. Because the Carolina Panthers have had a great defense for years. And granted, it's probably Ron Rivera's brainchild. But the one thing that stood out to me, I've heard a lot of interviews from former players and former legends in my book. You look at guys like Brian Westbrook and Brian Dawkins. And they both endorse Sean McDermott. He should be the guy. They're like, we know Sean personally. We think he has what it takes to be a great coach. He needs to be away. He would bring this team back to the 4-3 system. Let's face it. Their personnel is not built for a 3-4. How many assets are we not utilizing because we wanted to go to the stupid 3-4? But I think Sean would bring that back. I think, listen, in a perfect world, I love Sean Payne. Absolutely right. I wouldn't let him hire a defensive coordinator because he struck out miserably yeah. down in, <laughs> in New Orleans. So if you give me Sean Payne as the OC or Steve Spagnuolo as the DC, you get some Philly love. I don't know. I just, I, I just want a guy who gets it. And I think the formula is let's get back to playing that sound, hard-nosed defense. Clearly, we have a stable of running backs who can get the job done. And, and let's throw that now. Some of these teams have been successful with that formula. So that's where I'd go with it. I don't know who's going to be the best fit, who's going to get along with the, the, the cooks in the kitchen, you know, but I don't know. I kind of like Sean McDermott because I didn't think he got a fair shake. And then they go to Juan Castillo. He gets dismissed and goes to Juan, and they just didn't have the personnel. I don't know. And I just love his aggressive style. Jim Johnson was so aggressive. And that's what I like to see. They got after. And notoriously, throughout Jim Johnson's tenure, what is the goal in mind? And, and he said it. I've heard Jim Johnson say. 17 points or less. You got it, man. He <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, man. Ben, ben, but don't break. Jim Johnson didn't care about the yards he gave up. But when it came time to yeah. buckle down in the red zone, you weren't doing that's anything right. but kicking a field goal. Exactly. So, yeah. That's where I'm going with that. All right. You know what? You sold me more. I 
You sold me on Sean McDermott more than I had been sold by just hearing his name and thinking, oh, that loser. Yeah. yeah. And I heard an interview with him on today. If you can click, you know, 97.5 Anthony Gargano and his morning show, they did an interview with him today, and he would welcome it. His actually brother, which I didn't even know this, worked in the Eagles front office, and he got dismissed from his job. And people thought maybe the bad blood, he wouldn't. But I think he would love to take this on. And this, and you know, Look, he, here's the reality of the situation. You're not, you're not interviewing him. Well, I guess you could do it this week because they have the bye week. Uh, since I yeah. saw that, um, gosh, who was the coordinator for a team that's got the bye week that's interviewing elsewhere? Hugh um, uh, Jackson. Yeah, whoever it was somebody somebody's on a buy is interviewing this week because they have the buy. Oh, but uh, Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, bottom line is you could interview him now. If not, you're not touching him until late January because I don't think the Panthers are, are one and done this year. You know, as much as I it pains me to say that they're they're going to the <laughs> NFC Championship game. So. Yeah. We know that much. And I just hope Jeffrey Lurie doesn't make some rash decision in the meantime and not do his due yeah. diligence uh, for fear yeah. of losing out on somebody. I think it was Adam Gase. Yeah. Adam Gase is the guy. Um, yeah. Well, he's with the Bears. Well, right, right, but the former Broncos guy. He, he, he's, yeah, been, he he's been a rumored name that, you know, to me, I think is uh, at least, you know, he's, he's had some quarterback development um, on his pedigree, yeah, on his resume. He had won a uh, playoff game with Tim Tebow. You want to talk about the miracle? Bring him back. Right? Bring him back, Timmy. Timmy. I'll tell you what. The Eagles season went downhill when they cut Tebow. I'll tell you that right now because Jeebus was not on our side. <laughs> <laughs> Look, oh, the one guy, I swear to you, if Doug Peterson even gets oh, more God. than a token interview, Doug Poopy Peterson, I don't oh, want to see God. that guy's face ever. I'll, I'll find another team to root for. I will find, mark it down, Johnny Mita, I will find another football team to root for if Doug Poopy Peterson is the head coach of this I'm, football team. I'm with you, dude. When I heard that too, man, I was I was floored. You have I no idea how mad I was when Fat Andy Reid put him in charge of our offense um, yeah. the year that McNabb was you know, supposed to sit and wait. Oh, uh, it was just dreadful football. I, I longed for the days of the Koi Boy. You know, doing the doing the riding the bull out at, at midfield against yeah. the Niners or whatever game that was. Yeah, yeah, with the, yeah, with hey, the, uh, you know, hey, you bring up a you bring up great you you bring up great defenses, man. The Eagles yeah. won a lot of games in their heyday with McNabb backups because of a great defense. That's it. You know, all those games that Touchy Feely won and Coy oh. Boy. I mean, are you kidding me with that slop they were putting out there? They ran the ball, and they had a good defense. That's it. All right, let's pick the conferences, my friend. You want to start, or you want to uh, you want to clean up? I'll clean up. You go first. All right, the National Football Conference, a.k.a. the NFC, my friends. I'll take the Arizona Cardinals. And I know the Seahawks just hammered them in Arizona on Sunday. But the Cardinals didn't have much to play for, because the Panthers are going to win the conference. And let's not forget that a week prior, the Cardinals embarrassed embarrass Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. The Cardinals are a 13-win team. They got a veteran QB, the most talented wide receiver in the league. You could argue Denver. And their running game is legit. The Eagles know that firsthand. Mix in the fact that their defense finished 7th in points allowed per game and 5th in yards allowed. And I'll take the Cardinals, who would only have to go on the road to Carolina, warm weather, warm weather, in late January. In the AFC... If the Patriots were even close to healthy or gaining momentum, it'd be a slam dunk. 
Maybe a week off cures what ails them. Same thing for the Bengals. Franchise that can't win a playoff game to save their lives, but they had a great regular season. I just don't know about their health to even put them in this picture. We always talk about the NFL pundits, the talking heads, always talk about the hot teams entering the playoffs. Even though these streaking wildcard teams, I don't know, I think they've won like twice in the last six, eight years, meaning win a Super Bowl. I think it's it's a bigger it's a bigger story than actually happens. I mean, what hot streaking wildcard team won the Super Bowl last year or even played in the Super Bowl? It was the number one seats. So yeah. I think that gets blown out of proportion. However, I'm going to take a wild card, scorching hot team in the AFC, and it's the Big Red Machine. Er, Big Red and the Chiefs, baby. Andy Reid will not win the Super Bowl because I don't believe he's a good enough coach to outduel one of his top colleagues on the game's biggest stage. He'll somehow screw it up. But I think they roll Houston in the wild card weekend and they go from there. The Chiefs' defense is one of the best in the league. They only turn the ball over 15 times this season, second fewest in the league. That's crucial this time of year. Give me the Chiefs. Give me the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. It will be the least watched Super Bowl since Super Bowl 43 when you guessed it, John Mita, the Cardinals last appeared losing to the Steelers. <laughs> wow, dude. I like your picks. I like your <laughs> That's good, man. No, I mean, the Chiefs are coming in hot. It's, uh, you know, imagine if they still had Jamal Charles. Though. Yeah. Uh, you, you kind of touched on it for me. I'm going to go and I'm going to take the number one seed, man. And this is going to be in the AFC. Let's start with this is the Sheriff's revival. His last two rocks. The Denver Broncos defense have been probably the most solid unit all year. Yeah. Due to the fact that, and now they're running the ball much more effectively. So I like the Denver and the Sheriff to get it done and make it to another Super Bowl. I would, like you said before, man, the Patriots, their injuries in the Bengals, you know, not having Andy Dolan at the helm. I'm not so sure McCarron can get it done against the tough Steelers. So, I like Denver to come out of the AFC for the Sheriff's last hurrah. And then in the NFC, there's only one place to go with this one, which you were totally, totally going to hate. But i got to go with the Carolina Panthers. Something about this team, man. Uh, the way they played all year, I know their schedule wasn't, wasn't that tough. But they did themselves a favor by winning that game. They secured home field advantage throughout they're relatively healthy. They did have a couple injuries. You know, Tillman, he's done with an ACL. However, they signed Cortland Finnegan a couple weeks ago, so they do have depth at that position. And their defense has been the tops in the NFC all year long. And you can't deny the fact of the season that Cam Newton has had. I think he's on a mission to prove all the doubters wrong that an African-American quarterback can't get it done. And I, I just there's something about a man – I saw it when they were playing the Giants. The Giants come back, you know, they come back from being down 28 points or 21 points. Eli throws that strike to Beckham, and you just saw Cam's face, and he just had that look like, no problem, I got this. And he orchestrated a beautiful drive to get them in field goal position to win the game. Just something about the Panthers this year, man. There's some magic on that team. And you want to talk about culture, man? I think there's a team that just loves to play with each other. Like, they just love to have each other's backs. They just, I don't know, they have unbelievable chemistry. So I think, in the end, I think, you know, it could be a Denver-Carolina Super Bowl, another ratings buster. <laughs> but uh, who knows uh, Who knows if this is Cam's time to shine. But we'll see. And if he were to get it done, 
to the fact that he lost his number one receiver in the offseason, it'd be pretty impressive if they were to find a way. So I'm going with that. Too cocky. They're too cocky. I know. That's why you like. That's why you think they're having fun. That's why you think they have chemistry because they put it out there for you. That's not the media. That's them on the sidelines acting like no other professional football team has ever acted. You think the '85 Bears are acting like that? (laughs) Nah. Okay. And I know it's 2016, and that's 30 whatever years ago. But the bottom line is, you know, (laughs) look, they are gonna get. Their teeth smashed in at some point. They're going to get punched in the mouth, and then I want to see how they react. Because you're not playing the Falcons anymore. You're not playing the Saints anymore. I want to see when they can't throw the ball on the outside. I want to see when Cam has to run you know, for his life back there. I want to see when their defense gives up 14 points and they're down early in a football game. Then we'll see them face some real adversity. Your Carolina Panthers. Yeah, hold on, hold on. So, man, let me just make another note. Though. Yeah. You know who is dead scary, though? The Seattle Seahawks. They are dead scary right now. Because, you know, beast mode, Mr. Skittles himself, he's going to come back and play running back this week. Oh, he's been and a clown all, all season long. No, I know, but they just pasted, pasted the Cardinals. I mean, pasted them. So, beware of them and do the fact that Russell Wilson, in like his last six games, has thrown like 26 touchdowns yeah. to like one interception. He's been on fire. So we'll see. But they're another team that could just come and just run the table from that wild card position. So Going to the Super Bowl three years in a row would be Buffalo Bills-esque. be pretty damn impressive. You got that. One final note, John Mita, as we get on out yeah. of here. And I know yeah. you love this one. I mean, this was breaking news. The Redskins signed Kerry Williams just so no. that he could be part of a losing team this weekend. No. Get out of town. That is breaking news. Even more reason to root against the Redskins. You hate him. <laughs> no doubt. He's definitely... People are saying, like, guys, did you want to see the fastest get out of town? And yeah, caller came in and definitely put him on the mark. I'm like, man, I love that guy. Yeah. Whoever that caller was, that guy gets it. All right, Brotherly Love Podcast signing off. Enjoy the uh, postseason, the NFL playoffs. We'll be back at you in a week or so. Chip Kelly, see And uh, we'll be back. Johnny Mita, great job, buddy. Hey, nice work out of you, Joe. Always a pleasure. SoundCloud.com, nothing but love. Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Till next time, see listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.